everybody, and welcome back to the Kelly Green Hour as the Philadelphia Eagles kicked off the 2021 season with a dominating 32-6 victory over the Atlanta Falcons. And we are here to talk about it and to get you ready for the Eagles' home opener against the San Francisco 49ers. I'm your host, LJ Hero, and joining me as always is Connor Donald. Connor, we couldn't have asked for a better start to this 2021 season in Atlanta. It, it started off kind of slow, but boy, did it turn around definitely in the second half. Oh, absolutely, man. It, it, it Nothing better than starting after, a, you know, an off season of criticism, you know, turmoil and change and just constant criticism everywhere as you look from Philly's media, from the national media. And then you come out of the gates as people are starting to warm up to the team. We come out of the gates with the win against the Falcons. And now we're everybody's favorite underdog this week against the 49ers. So even better. Hey, we're playing that underdog mentality like we did back in 2017. It is still early in the season, though. And, and, and Atlanta's not going to be a good team. You know, obviously with it being Nick Sirianni's debut as the head coach of the Eagles, we wanted to see what the offense was going to look like. Early on, you know, I won't lie, and, and I was watching the game with Shane, we both were talking about how it reminded us of a Doug Peterson's coached game. Nothing downfield. They didn't seem to get created. Like the first two plays of the game were those quick, uh, quick screens out the Quez Watkins. You know, we, we saw that a lot. We didn't see much downfield. We saw the one play downfield to Zach Ertz, which was underthrown and actually incomplete. But the Eagles were, were smart enough to get to the line to call the next play so that the, um, the, the Falcons couldn't challenge it. But they, you know, they, they, were able to get the, the ball moving. And then defensively, early on, Atlanta was running the ball down the Eagles' throats. They had over 100 yards rushing in the first half. Got to give them credit. But Jonathan Gannon's defense didn't allow anything to get behind them. You know, the first two drives Atlanta had, they had about 150 yards of total offense. After that, I don't even think they had 100 for the rest of the game. It was it was outstanding the way Eagles' defense was able to make adjustments. The running game for Atlanta did not take off at all, you know, the latter portions of the second quarter into the second half. It was just outstanding. They, they were outstanding. It was an out, I'm sorry. It was an outstanding coaching job by Jonathan Gannon. And, you know, now we get to see what adjustments they made this week. The Niners are a totally different offense, a totally different team than the Atlanta Falcons. And they're going to be much more physical. They're, they got a quarterback who, and, and a coach, an offensive coach that knows how to use his skill set players. This is going to be an intriguing matchup. Yeah, absolutely, Emmy. Especially in the Atlanta game, you can already tell the Arthur Smith mentality is setting in. Like, in looking into the game afterwards, they ran the most 12 personnel, which Atlanta ranked in the lowest part of that last season. And whereas flip side, Tennessee ranked in the highest portion of it last season with running 12 personnel, two tight end sets. Sorry for those who may not know. Um, so you're already seeing the shift in mentality. You could tell by the way he was running Mike Davis and Cordero Patterson, even when they were down and they were out and you knew, you know, this is garbage time. Let Matt Ryan do what he does best and let it fly. He wasn't even letting him let it fly. It was, it was like he really wanted that like slow beat them down, you know, type of mentality when the game didn't call for it, the script didn't call for it. And you can just tell, like, things may very well be very different under Arthur Smith. 
<clears throat> but I mean, like that that doesn't mean like to worry about a guy like Calvin Ridley. It, it probably spells even more work for Calvin Ridley as the season wears on. But then on the flip side of the ball for us, yeah, exactly like you were saying, like the defense looked good. And you know what? That's that's even better for this week because one of the biggest things that uh, San Francisco likes to use is the yards after the catch with George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, who's likely to have his start and roll back this week. And the Eagles, if they can continue to keep stuff in front of them like they did against the Atlanta Falcons, make those make those open field tackles, stop the play right where the catch happens or with minimal yardage after, then there's a good reason to believe that we can be that underdog that comes out on top, especially with how San Francisco's banged up. But I also want to call out on the defensive side of the ball, the arrival of Javon Hargrave. We mm-hmm. were starting to see him come around at the end of last season. You know, COVID, there wasn't much of an offseason for him. Maybe some injuries at the early, in the early part of the season that were kind of slowing him down. He started picking it up. He ended up with two sacks, three QB hits um, this past week. And I also want to call out Hassan Ridgeway. Man, that man, every time you you looked, every time he was on the field, he was wreaking havoc in that backfield. He had three QB hits as well, including one sack. That, I mean, that's really impressive, especially when it's not Fletcher Cox's name you're calling. You can actually call the third person in the rotation, Hassan Ridgeway, out for having a fairly good game from a Hassan Ridgeway standard. And then the arrival of a guy like Javon Hargrave, who we paid so much money for. And then also... Shout out to Avante Maddox. We've been hard on him all throughout this offseason, and we were like, is a move to safety necessary? Maybe it's just a move into the nickel corner spot because he played really well in the slot doing his job down there. And I get it's Atlanta, and I get that you're covering probably like a guy like Olamide Zacchaeus or you're covering Hayden Hurst, you know. But even if you're covering a tight end, that's an accomplishment for Avante Maddox to be able to do that, especially given his size and, and everything that we were calling for in the offseason. So I just wanted to shout out those three guys, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, but when it comes to Avante Maddox, we all knew he was not an outside corner. Uh, he looked really bad as an outside corner. So... Uh, you know, the move to slot or the move to safety what was something that needed to be done. And, and this Eagles, this new Eagles coaching staff realized that. And it also helps when you go out and get a, a legit number two corner in Steven Nelson. Um, Darius Slay had a really good game, only gave up, I think, two catches for 14 yards. Um, you know, all around, the, the Eagles defense was good. And, you know, th- there was a lot of talk on sports radio by one certain host that, you know, wanted to try to call out Fletcher Cox because he didn't have any stats. Fletcher Cox does so much more than than what the stat line tells. If he's being double teamed, that allows Javon Hargraves, Hassan Ridgeway, uh, Brandon Graham, Derek Barnett, allows them to to get one-on-one matchups that they can win. Fletcher Cox doesn't need to go out there and have 10 tackles a game. You know, would it be nice if he got his name in, in, in the stat sheet? Sure. But he does things outside of the scope of the stat sheet that allows the other players on the defensive line to go out and make plays. So, you know... Uh, you know, he, he can keep doing exactly what he's doing because he he's a, he's a wrecker out there because it's going to take two offensive linemen to beat him and or to, two offensive linemen to, I should say, contain him. And, and I kind of felt bad for that left guard for the Falcons last week. He got used and abused by every, 
by all the defensive tackles. By and the, it was his NFL debut, year. right? It was yeah. Jalen Mayfield. And yeah. I, I kind of yep. like Jalen Mayfield through the draft process. And he'll get better. I mean, he's a rookie. Like, God, the, these games are going to happen. But, man, he did. Did he ever get eaten alive? And I agree with you about Fletcher Cox. The best way that I describe Fletcher Cox is he's a space eater. That's what he is. He eats up space. He takes up space. He eats up bodies. And if he's, like you said, if he's calling, get in a double team every single time, that opens things up for Brandon Graham, Derek Barnett, Hassan Ridgeway, Javon Hargrave. And you know Javon Hargrave is someone who is definitely deserving of being double teamed as well. So if you got these two guys feasting in the middle, taking up three, maybe even a fourth body and the tight ends left out, tight ends left in line to block Barnett or Sweat or Brandon Graham, that spells a really bad day for the opposing team's quarterback because those guys can get around the tight end. They can bully tight ends on the inline easily. So, I mean, I know that people love to call out Fletcher Cox and he doesn't get lots of sacks or he doesn't get lots of QB hits, but his 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 what he does is not quantifiable. What he does cannot be found on a stat sheet. That is someone who's just a box score reader and not watching even the highlights of the game, a condensed version of the game, something to get a feel for what Fletcher Cox was doing and is doing. It is unfortunate. I mean, in the circumstance where, you know, the talk is, is he going to be an eagle for life? What's going to happen after this year and stuff? Because we owe so much money to him. There's a lot of space eaters that can be found in college football and in the NFL. And I think that that's the biggest thing is we need someone who's going to put stats on the board, but we have to also figure out how invaluable being this space eater is and how much more does Fletcher Cox bring than just being a space eater. Exactly. And they did restructure his contract this week and now they're up to like $20 million um, under the cap. And obviously Dallas Goddard possibly, I, I know there was talk that they're not going to do it this year, but you know, that could happen. Other players um, could potentially get uh, rewarded with, with a new contract. So, so we'll see in, in regards to that. Um, I, I kind of want to go back to the offensive side of the ball and talk, you know, Devontae Smith, his first catch in the NFL is a touchdown in the same end zone in which he caught the game-winning touchdown in the national championship game his, his freshman year against Georgia um, from Tua Tagovailoa. And, dude, he plays well in that stadium, playing there a lot, uh, obviously being on Alabama. Um, they utilize the strengths. He is a smooth runner, smooth route runner. Like, I don't care what his size is. It's hard for people. It's hard for cornerbacks to just to, to, to stay with him, to cover him. Cause his route running, his route knowledge, knowing what he should do in, in a particular coverage. And then him and, and Jalen, like kind of having the same wavelength, the brain wavelength, it's going to be tough for, to, to stop that, you know, that combination when if, if the more that they start to play together and become more comfortable with each other, because obviously it has been a couple of years since they played with each other, but Devonte looked good. Jalen Rager had a touchdown on a, an awesome block by Jordan Maialata taking out the, the, the corner safety on that side. Um, it, it was just the, the way that Nick Sirianni called the game. He didn't panic. He didn't get flustered. He allowed his offense to, to play. And, and I don't even think that was the full offense. He, they didn't have to show much against Atlanta. They'll, pro- they'll most likely have to show more against San Francisco this week. But I think that's a good step going forward. And yet we still do not know what the full complement of this offense is going to look like. And I think that's a, a positive. 
Absolutely. I agree with you on that point. Like like you said, yeah, at the beginning, it was vanilla. It stayed pretty vanilla. But I mean, one of the benefits of living in Canada, I get, you know, the national and international media scope on games. And there's a lot of people in the national media who were impressed with the way Sirianni handled his gameplay calling and the way Jalen Hurts played the game. They got him comfortable. They didn't make him throw bombs right off the bat. I think the game started out with like two bubble screens right to Quez Watkins. And like, so the game kind of, they kind of let the game flow to them. They controlled the pace of the game. They controlled the flow of the game and they continued to for the whole game. And obviously you're not always going to get a situation like this, but it's a good way to get a new coach comfortable with calling plays. Jalen Hurts get comfortable in being, stepping into the franchise quarterback role. And um, like you said, especially on the receiving point, to see our two leading target getters be two wide receivers for a change instead of two tight ends was a breath of fresh air for me. Um, Devonta Smith, eight targets, Jalen Reger, six targets. And it's hilarious when you brought, bring up Jalen Reger because at the beginning of the game, he was getting ripped on Twitter. And for the life of me, I couldn't understand what was going on, but people were giving him such a hard time in the early going and, and they quickly that was quickly silenced as the game wore on. I think it's clear to, to say that Jalen Reger, you have to understand the role that somebody has in an offense. Jalen Reger is likely not going to be the big play guy. And people need to understand that. You know, he averaged 8.2 yards per catch like per reception this past week. That could be the type of role that, that Jalen Reger plays, despite, you know, what he can do after the catch. That just might be the type of role that Nick Sirianni's offense calls for, because as we know, Nick Sirianni is very specific on the roles that he has for players. Okay, in the two-minute drill that was going on, Kenneth Gainwell was the only running back on the field. Miles Sanders never set foot on the field in that two-minute drill down in the first half. It was Kenneth Gainwell the whole time. So it's all about people having defined roles in the offense, and we knew that from his Indianapolis Colts days. That was a very realistic thing that might happen in Philadelphia. Which brings me to my point on Kenneth Gainwell. That's going to be a nasty backfield. I love that backfield. No need to mix Agreed. Boston Scott into it. And I don't think there's any reason to really force Boston Scott into it unless you're pay- playing at the Meadowlands because he's probably going to blow up. <laughs> but like 15 carries for Miles Sanders, nine carries for Kenneth Gainwell, five targets for Miles Sanders, three for Kenneth Gainwell. That's almost like you know, a 60-40, 65-35 split, and that's the type of split that's perfect to for Miles Sanders to work in and perfect for Kenneth Gainwell to work out of. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the running backs because I wanted to, to to do that as well. You know, Miles Sanders looked good, He was, and he actually caught the ball. The adjustment I saw they made, it wasn't like having him go 10, 15 yards down the field and try to catch the ball. It was, you know, swings out of the backfield, let him catch it, get his vision upfield, and and he looked good. I don't know if he had a drop, and if he did, he only had one. But you know, his hands look good. Kenny Gainwell, you know, Kenny G getting the opportunity to to be the second back, and then in the two minute offense, as you as you mentioned, and not seeing Boston Scott out there, it was refreshing. Um, you saw the speed of Kenny Gainwell. Like that kid can really move. He's going to be a an absolute force in this offense. And if we can get him, get him, get Kenny G, and um. Miles Sanders in the backfield t- together with the the Devontae Smiths and with you know um, Jalen Rager and Quez Watkins like and and the running ability of of Jalen Hurts. It, it's gonna really this offense is gonna be tough to defend. Um, obviously they're gonna have a much different matchup this week against a better 
coached in a better de- defense in, in the Niners and going forward because um, you're not always going to face the Atlanta Falcons, but it was a good start. Um, and I like, and, and as you mentioned, they didn't force the Boston Scott. They didn't force a, a Greg Ward as much as we like him. Um, JJ, our thing, a white side actually played a lot more. And, and it started reminding me of like the Riley, when Riley Cooper played a lot under Chip Kelly, he was out there for his blocking. I get it. You want your receivers to block. Devontae Smith actually was really good blocking, by the way, on the outside. But I do, I, I'm still don't want to see um, Arthago Whiteside out there on the field. I think it's just a waste of space out there. I'd much rather, you know, put a Dallas Goddard, you know, spread him out wide or Zach Ertz spread them out wide. I, I would rather have them because then you have that ability. If you, if you see Arthago Whiteside out there, it's like, all right, he's out here to block. But if you put somebody else out there who can block and catch, then you have to then you have that double whammy of, oh, if, if you, if you think, if you're going to play the defense to like, oh, they're blocking because it's going to be a quick pass, go down the field with one of them. They have the speed and the ability to catch the ball down the field. So that's kind of an adjustment that I, that I would like to see, but it, it'll be interesting um, going forward again against a better defensive team in the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah. And I think the final thing I point I want to make about this game was how great it felt to have a healthy offensive line that completed oh, an entire game, you know? I mean, maybe periodically, I think Kelsey went off for a couple plays and stuff. No, but like, no the I mean, offensive line and, and Hurts all played 100% of the snap. Perfect, even better. Um, So that's even better because, like, people were sitting there saying, oh, the Eagles' offensive line's old, it's washed, you know, like they were getting ranked really low. This is the same offensive line that's been top 10 before. It's just health has been an issue. If we can stay healthy for an entire season, I mean, Atlanta had one QB hit, one sack. That was literally it. Mm-hmm. And that, like, that never happens. That is so rare. And that was more uh, of a coverage that, sack, too. Exactly. So, I mean, to to actually have that, that's great. And, I mean, you know, Landon Dickerson, he's going to be active this week. Obviously, he's only going to play in the case that there's an injury likely. But it would be if he gets the opportunity to get in there and play. I mean, even better. The depth is there. We have confidence as long as, you know, we're not getting two or three injuries and the injuries pile up. We can handle one. We can handle some some guys getting a quick rest here and there. But to have that healthy offensive line was huge. And I know that a lot of people are like, oh, it's just Atlanta. It's just Atlanta. But at the end of the day, people were counting us as underdogs against Atlanta. People were already counting us out against Atlanta. And as soon as we win, they're like, oh, it's just Atlanta. Even though you spent the whole two weeks leading up to this game saying, well, Atlanta might. Exactly. It's like, oh, Atlanta might win. You know, Atlanta might be better. At the end of the day, I think Atlanta was overrated. I did. I just think people were like, oh, they got Kyle Pitts. They they have Calvin Ridley. They got an offense, but they got no damn defense. They have zero defense. Like you can sit there and say you got an offense. But at the end of the day, if you don't have a defense, how do you trust your team to be able to go pound for pound with a team who has a defense who can make that one stop or those two stops? Like, yes, Philadelphia, you're not normally going to get, you know, all the stops that we got, but that's a good thing. That's a positive step in the right direction for Philadelphia. And it's funny how the narrative just immediately flipped at the fact that, you know, oh, it's just Atlanta after we were put down and called the underdogs and buried because we were facing Atlanta, because who knows what this defense is going to be like. But look at that Atlanta offense. I think they miss Julio Jones. And I think that it was pretty easy to tell in that first game. Obviously, it's Kyle Pitts' first game and stuff, and and he should definitely improve. But if you had Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts, and Julio Jones, 
I think this outcome looks very different. I also think that Arthur Smith, he made no adjustments in the game. Um, and I know that this is his first game as a head coach, but he definitely lost the coaching battle to Nick Sirianni. So that that's a big two for the Eagles because Arthur Smith has the experience. He has Dean Pease, who, um, you know, as his defensive coordinator, they, they've both been coordinators for a long time, you know, longer than Sirianni and Gannon. And they just got out, outclassed by, by the Eagles uh, coaching staff. Um, but yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, it was a good first week. Um, and, and like, like you mentioned, you know, the Eagles went in as the underdog and and then that narrative changed after, after the game, but maybe you got to just give the Eagles credit. They, they played very well. They were r- really well coached. Um, didn't make many, men, many, if not any men, mental mistakes. So we'll, we'll see going forward if they could continue that um, and having the home opener at the link this week with a full crowd for the first time in two seasons is I cannot it's gonna be wait. wild it's gonna be the crazy I wish I could be there but to watch it on TV it's gonna be crazy and I think that's the driving factor behind us being one of the favorite underdogs is because you go to the link and you pack that field and you got mm-hmm. all those fans going wild I mean people are probably gonna be tailgating at like 9 a.m like 9 a.m bro they're gonna be tailgating at 7 a.m they're going to be tailgating the night before. The party isn't even going to stop. It's going to be great to see fans yeah. back in the link. And my last point here is like, it was 32 to six. This wasn't like a close matchup at any point. Was it really close? It was pretty much the first quarter was close. And then we just opened the floodgates and never looked back. The, that's the thing. It, we could have a very different discussion if Atlanta could have put more points up, if Atlanta mm-hmm. made adjustments to try and make it a game. But they literally kept flowing with the game script as if it was a neutral game script and that they were within one score from the time that the first touchdown, the first field goal was on the board, all the way until the final touchdown was on the board and the final score is 32 to 6. Like you said, he didn't make any adjustments. Call it a rookie coach thing, but you need to adapt to that. You need to make mm-hmm. sure that you're attempting to make adjustments. Stick into this slow ground and pound 12 personnel set from the first snap till the final snap when you're getting completely outplayed and bamboozled by the Eagles is not a good look for a rookie coach. You, there's some work to be done there. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, well, I mean, well, obviously – Things could change between now and the end of the season, obviously. Atlanta, maybe Atlanta will be better than, than they were on Sunday, but it's going to be tough, um, and we'll see how things go um, going forward for both the Eagles and the Falcons. Um, so, Connor, for your let, – let me get a play of the game or player of the game that, that impressed you in the Eagles-Falcons matchup. 100% the Devonta Smith touchdown. How quickly he made his impact felt – was huge and and, I mean I'm one of those guys who's been sitting there you know me as a fantasy analyst saying that this is going to be Philadelphia's first 1,000 yard receiver since in I think it's been five years since we last in five or six years and it was Jeremy Macklin and I think that Devonta Smith is going to be that one and I think that that's huge that his impact was felt immediately that he led the team in targets that he has Jalen Hurts confidence that he has Nick Sirianni's confidence that over he probably he has Shane Steichen's confidence everybody trusts him he's here he is everything we've been told he would be and I get that this is just the first game but to come out and immediately have that impact and know that you're going into San Francisco who's missing their top cornerback 
huge confidence boost for Devonta Smith and a huge vouch in his favor that he is the number one wide receiver. He is likely Jalen Hurts' number one target, and the Eagles fans should be confident and excited about that pick. Yeah, definitely. And I think Josh Norman's going to be playing this week. Man, he should be able to take advantage of that matchup if, if they're they're on each other. Um, I'm going to go on the defensive side of the ball, and I'm going to go Javon Hargrave. You mentioned, you know, I think he had two sacks, um, and he he was just a monster. He, he couldn't be blocked, and that was the guy that the Eagles signed last year. Everybody hoped he would be right off the, the, the bat. Uh, he had injury issues kind of fitting and then trying to fit into a new scheme. The one thing this coaching staff does, they build their scheme around the strengths of their players. And while it was only week one, that's what we saw on the offensive side of the ball. And that's what we saw on the defensive side of the ball. And the one thing, again, I mentioned John, Jonathan Gannon, don't get beat over the top. Rule number one of this defense, do not get beat over the top. As Eagles fans, we are going to have to live with the bend but don't break defense. The first two drives were, it was nauseating watching the Falcons go down the field easy but when they got inside the red zone the eagles clamped up and didn't allow the um falcons to get into the end zone only getting those two field goals that was the bit that was the difference in the game because if the the falcons get touchdowns there it's a totally different game and who knows what the outcome looks like but the eagles defense played that bend but don't break um you know we didn't really see the sticks like jim schwartz and kind of didn't blitz at all again base front um, they mixed the coverages on the back. They only pressured with four. Wait until they start blitzing and they start getting creative. You know, obviously they're holding that until they really need it because you don't want to put it on tape too early for teams like, you know, the San Fran, Dallas coming up, the Chiefs and whatnot. But I'm going to be very intrigued going forward when you're facing creative offenses uh, like the the, um, uh, the Kyle Shanahan-led Niners. Will, will Jonathan Gannon call blitzes? We know the, the the Niners are going to want to run a ball. Yeah, Mozart's not not going to be out there. But, you know, they still have Elijah Mitchell, who me and you both like pre-draft, hoping the Eagles will get him. But, I mean, I'm not mad because we got Kenny G. But still, like, they're going to come out running the ball, use the play action to get the ball to George Kittle, um, Debo, Debo Samuel. Samuel, this is a, a much better offense that, that they're going to be facing, a much better coach team that they're going to be facing. And then throw in that tra- – which we were going to talk about the Niners, but then you got to worry about the Trey Lance factor which we'll talk about in a little bit. But, yeah, I'm going to go with Javon Hargraves as a right um, for this week's player of the game. Oh, and, and final final comment there, Aaron Sippus looks like a hell of a punter, by oh the way. God. I mean, I right? hope, honestly, we don't want it. Four inside the 20? Three inside the 20. If you only have to use your punter four times a game, good. And if he's averaging 47.3 yards per punt and he's burying a team like Atlanta inside their 23 of those times, that's exactly what a defense wants. That's exactly what a special teams coordinator wants to see. Especially like first year rookie, he's just got a cannon of a leg. And if he can do that constantly, that just helps the defense anything to help the defense and i mean if we're gonna end up punting the ball away instead of getting points on the board burying a team inside their 20 and making them march 80 plus yards best feeling best thing to see and especially at the link is if you if you can have the san francisco 49ers start inside the 10 and start inside the five in front of those fans woo it, 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 for the again for the first time in two years being at the link you know riled up alcoholed up man it's gonna be fun um and that crowd is gonna definitely be ravenous um i want to talk about nick sirianni real quick 
what were your impressions of his debut? Personally, he didn't look, as I mentioned earlier, he didn't look, you know, confused. He looked poised. Uh, he didn't get out of his game plan. And, you know, he, they didn't have timeout issues. Um, the, the offensive line had penalties. There, were, there weren't many false start issues. There weren't delayed game penalties. That's where, you know, I'm ecstatic. Like, when you see that from a first-year head coach, you know, that's a good thing because now he, he should just improve going forward. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the biggest thing that stood out to me is his ability to game manage. He, he, he looked like a good calm collected game manager and he i mean he 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 went for it on some fourth downs and and he missed but you know he made the attempts he 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 showed you know he's got a little bit of balls to him but at the same time he's conservative he can be smart about it and you know that that's that's what you want to see you want to see him like he made you he made adjustments where he had to make adjustments you know he controlled the flow of the game and he just coached an all-around good boring but good game it was nothing that's going to excite you it's, but you know you've heard about the creativity you've seen the creativity in Indianapolis it will change as he needs to make the adjustments it will change but if he's in a if he's in a game where it's in the trenches and it's boring, like maybe San Francisco, maybe he may still not show a whole lot in a game where he's blowing a team out like Atlanta. He's not going to show a lot mm-hmm. in a game against KC and Dallas, where it's likely going to be a shootout. There's going to be lots of passing. He's probably going to show a bit more. He's probably going to do a bit more to get the offense going. But for the time being, there's no real reason to believe that, you know, he has to come out and be Chip Kelly, but there's no reason to be Doug Peterson. He kind of reminded me of like kind of in in between, not the extreme left, not the extreme right, but right in the middle. And if he can continue to be like that, good game management, good clock management, I'm fine with that. I can be perfectly content with a boring ass called football game until you need to call the games that matter and then make your adjustments and do things. The last thing I would want to see is, you know, people overcompensate. Like Arthur Smith could have overcompensated in this game, but instead he undercompensated. And I don't want to see undercompensation. I don't want to see overcompensation when it comes to game management and making your adjustments. And for Nick Sirianni, he didn't look like a rookie coach like Arthur Smith looked like the rookie coach. So I was mm-hmm. impressed. As boring as it may have been, I was impressed. I'm okay with it. It sets the tone, a good tone-setting game for the start of the season. And from there now, you start adding more elements in. Jalen Hurts gets more comfortable. Nick Sirianni gets more comfortable. The offensive line gets more comfortable. Jalen Hurts' cadence. The receivers get more comfortable with who's throwing them the ball, how he throws the football, and things will just start to flow. Yeah, I definitely agree. And he's definitely got this team buying in. Um, Brandon Graham has talked about it. Like, Sirianni is the same way 24-7. He's not doing what he's doing just in front of the cameras. That's the way he is in the locker room. He's all about competition. He's all about talking ball. He's he's fired up all the time. So that is a good thing. And if he can can continue to show that, that he's not fake, you're going to get the players to buy in, and, and, and they're going to believe you, believe that you can lead the team, believe that you can be the leader that they want to have going forward. So that's something that, that I'm really excited to see. But, yeah, very impressive. And, you know, I, I can't deny what Sirian, how Sirianni went out there and, and, and coached this game. 
Um, and, and like you mentioned, if it's boring, if it has to be boring for the onset, let it be boring if they're winning games. I don't care what happens as, as long as they're winning games. Um, so we'll see going forward. You know, they were the only team in the NFCs to win week one. That, that's a good that's a good thing. Um, obviously, the, the, with the Washington football team beating the Giants on on Thursday night um, in, in a wild game. But, you know, also of, of all the NFCs teams, the Eagles look like the best coach team right now. Um, and they obviously have the best mix when it comes to both the lines, the offensive defensive line. I think they have the best. I think they have the best offensive line in the division. Probably the second best defensive line, maybe behind Washington. But when you when you when you encompass everything, that's where winning football starts up front. And if they can stay healthy, which they have so far this year, they have one person out this week. You know, Landon Dickerson's coming back, and if he can get in the form, maybe put him in at left guard. And he's because I think he's better than Isaac Sayamalu. That offensive line right there, oh my lord, that's a road grader offensive line so we'll see what happens going forward but Nick Sirianni first impressions great and I can't wait to see what he does at the link on Sunday yeah no definitely couldn't agree more with everything you said there there's there's so much more to look forward to we definitely look like the better NFC's team and that shows in the standards because we're the lone possessors of a win at this point and and coach Matt Washington, well, yeah, Washington is ahead of week one, I guess I should have uh, made the statement. We had one win to no one winning, and somehow that game on Thursday night, oh, boys, was it ugly, but it gave people something to really watch on a Thursday night, which was really surprising coming from the NFC East. Um, But, yeah, like you said, like, it it definitely coaching matters, um, and the ability to put a game away that way uh, definitely mattered as well. And, and you know, I don't want to get overhyped because, you know, overall the NFC East, actually all of us have a fairly difficult schedule. We all have to play some of the same teams that are going to be really good. And, I mean, it's going to come down to can we get some of those upsets? Can we get some of those wins? And that could be the difference from being 9-8 and eight or 8-9 eight and nine and, you know, making the playoffs and winning the NFC East because it's definitely starting to look like it is going to be wide open. The Giants clearly were being overrated because they're not looking that good. Their offensive line is terrible. Saquon Barkley, he's being eased back into it, but how much will he be able to produce even once he's a full go, because that offensive line is really bad. It makes Dan- it's give- making Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley's life a living nightmare. Washington, they lost Ryan Fitzpatrick. They're not looking bad, but they're not looking great. They look like, you know, a team who could be at that eight, nine, nine and eight range, maybe seven and ten. And Dallas, they they have injury problems, disciplinary problems, and defensively they're not that great so the Eagles seem like the most well-balanced team but you just don't know what to expect so far because we're balanced but all the expectation is that we weren't supposed to be that good anyways so it's tough to say you know is this balance going to hold up long enough that we get some of those key wins that we need or is it just about we have a balanced mediocre team that's going to end up eight and nine or seven and ten and missing the playoffs or can we squeeze out those key victories to get to nine and eight and maybe win the nfc east yeah and it's going to come down to and i don't i don't want to look forward but the last six seven weeks of the season they have five division games they play one division game in the first two three months and that's next week against dallas so you know that's where that's where it could potentially be won if the eagles can just survive in the first half of this this schedule the, the back half, they don't have to get on a bus after November or 
after I forget what it is, week like ten. They they don't have to get on a plane, I should say. After week ten, they got a couple games in the Meadowlands. They go to Washington, um, all bus trips, all train or, or a train trip, and then they, they got a bunch of home games. So all they have to do is stay above, you know, stay above the water, stay keep their heads above the water, and then stay healthy. And if they stay healthy, if they're healthy, come that second half of the year, that's where it's going to get fun, possibly for for the Eagles. Um, I just I wanna, want to point one other thing out too about how impressed I am with the way Nick Sirianni handles his veterans during the week. Yeah. The fact, the amount of players he's actually given rest to is really impressive because this is not something you saw under uh, Nick Sirianni or uh, Doug Peterson or Chip Kelly. They went like hardcore at practice. They made these guys practice, but Nick Sirianni, I think he gets it. He's like, this team's been banged up before, but they're good well, at what Doug they did, do. They know what they're Doug doing. Doug did have, Doug did have veteran rest days. I'll give him that. The vets, the, the older guys, you know. But not to have, this extent. Look at the injury reports that came out on Thursday and Friday. Well, usually they, one day a week. Usually one day a week. It was Wednesday or something. The, the vets, the the, the Fletcher mm-hmm. Cox, Jason Peters, um, Lane Johnson, Kelsey, like they, they did get rest. By the way, shout out Jason Peters comes back and gets hurt. But yeah, I did know. mean to mention that earlier. In, in we typical, typical fashion there. Um, but I mean, you look in at situations like Indianapolis and other areas like they're dealing with some crazy injury issues like and for once, Philadelphia is not dealing with those injury issues. And Nick Sirianni, you know, he's kind of respecting that these guys know what they're doing. Lane Johnson, Fletcher Cox, they don't have to practice every single day of the week like some of these rookies or practice squad guys. That's what you have some of these guys for because, you know, some of these guys, they got their craft. They're good at what they do. They know what they're doing. Don't risk injury. Don't risk further hurting anything or aggravating anything. Give them their days off that they properly need. Um, And you know what? If if through three or four, I mean, this is just one week in the preseason, but so far, really good. The fact that we came out of the preseason with literally Rodney McLeod's the only person out this week. The only person who's going to be inactive due to injury is Rodney McLeod this week. I don't remember the last time we were able to go into a Sunday saying we have one player inactive due to injury. I 100% agree. It's definitely a breath of fresh air. And it's finally because we've had even the Super Bowl season, bunch of bunch of injuries. Um, before we move to our to our next um, topic, which is one of our favorite from last year, the unheralded player of the week, the NFL announced the they're going to have an in season hard knocks with the Indianapolis Colts. Obviously, as Eagles fans, this interests us because of Carson Wentz and the potential for us to get the Colts' first round pick. How interested are you? Because this is something starting in November. I think it's November seventh. I'm definitely going to keep an eye on. Because, you know, just seeing, is Carson going to be playing? Do the Colts make a trade for a quarterback? Hint, hint, maybe a Nick Foles type of thing in the, in the dynamics there. Like, I'm intrigued, and obviously as an Eagles fan with, with us, you know, our, our third first-round pick in there hanging in the balance, I am going to definitely be all ears, all eyes when this show comes out in November. Yeah, I mean, like you listen to the immediate reaction and it's like, what are you going to record? What are you going to show? Because you don't you don't want teams to see a lot of stuff. So as exciting as it is and as cool as it is and as successful as Hard Knocks has been, what do you want to show? What do you want to divulge? What do you want people to see? And the immediate reaction from a lot of the media that I'm reading is 
This probably isn't good for Carson Wentz because he wanted to come out from under the microscope. But of course, he's going over to an owner, Jim Ursay, who loves attention. He wants the attention on his Colts. He thinks his Colts, you know, are heading toward are potentially Super Bowl bound, at least playoff bound at the very least. And I mean, obviously, week one, not a great early look at them, but it's early. The first couple of weeks we, we take with a bit of a grain of salt. But I mean... They're dealing with injuries. They're dealing with the Carson Wentz drama, and you know the not the the vaccination issue. And you're dealing with the, the there's just so much that they're dealing with right now. It just really surprises me that they were the team that stepped forward. Mostly, I get Jim Irsay. He he loves it. This attention. This is great. This is what he wants. It's kind of like a Jerry Jones thing. Yeah, I'll put my team out there. You guys can see it. But I don't necessarily believe it's something the players and the coaches and management may want. But yeah, like like you said, I'm definitely interested to see what happens and how everything goes there. But yeah, you, you go from being in Philadelphia where you're abused by the national and the local media week in and week out to Indianapolis where you're like, oh, the team's good all around me. I'm good to go. I'm confident. And you have the week one you have followed by this massive announcement that you're going to be on an in-season hard knocks and you're right back under the microscope you didn't want to be under. I feel bad for Carson Wentz in that regard. (laughs) Yeah. But again, hard knock. I mean, this this season's hard knocks with Dallas wasn't that exciting. I mean, and it's not because it was Dallas. It was just because... I don't know if COVID had anything to do with it, but it wasn't that exciting. I mean, the 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 best part of the the that this season of Card, uh, Hard Knocks was Trayvon Diggs' son. Um, he he was the best part of, of it. So hopefully, uh, the end season and like you mentioned, it's going to be tough because you don't want to go too in depth to give away you know plays and and whatnot. Your, your practice when, when you're practicing, you know, you don't want to give that away to future opponents or to the league. But we'll, we'll see how it goes. All right, so let's move to our uh, one of our favorite topic, our yeah, our favorite segments from last year, the unheralded player of the year, a uh, player of the week. Now, what do we mean by unheralded? We don't want the Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady's, you know, we don't want those big time players. Somebody that 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 nobody really talks about, somebody that's seen as kind of an underdog and whatnot. Um, who is your week one unheralded player of the week, Connor? Absolutely, man. Yeah, I love this segment. It's fun to, to look at some of these players and to talk about these players who may only have these boom and bust games that aren't mm-hmm. going to be recognized all the time. Um, and I'm going to start out with this is going to be the only time he's going to be able to be unheralded, I think, because he's going to really blow up. And that was Devonta Smith's running mate, Jalen Waddell. He looked so good for mm-hmm. the Miami Dolphins. Whether you believe or not the potential rumors about Will Fuller, he's out for personal reasons this week. There's some beat reporters with low follower counts who are saying that some of their inside sources say it's bad, it could be bad, and that he may not play a snap for the Miami Dolphins. That would be massive for a guy like Jalen Waddle. He looks every bit what people expected him to be. He's fast. He's explosive. He can make plays with his feet. He can make have it happen through the air. And, I mean, Tua's going to love a guy like Jalen Wild. Targeted mm-hmm. him six times, four receptions, 61 yards for 15.3 average, and one, and the only receiving touchdown for the Miami Dolphins this past week in their victory over New England. So he's not going to be unheralded for long because I think, you know, he's going to – he had the same – one less target than Devontae Parker, had the same amount of receptions, but he also had the touchdown 
know, it's going to only be a matter of time before he takes over as a lead receiving option in Miami. So I'll give him his unheralded opportunity now because, I mean, he he, he didn't, I wouldn't say he fell down draft boards, but he wasn't somebody who was at the top of the list, you know. I mean, there was they, there was talk of Rashad Bateman, there was Devonta Smith, there was Jamar Chase. You know, people were talking about all these names. He kind of fell into the mix. And I think he's going to just be a really good player. He is an explosive. He was dude. the second receiver taken in the draft. So, um, shockingly, I should say, the second receiver taken taken in the draft. Oh, well, by the way, watching that Miami um, New England game was like watching the maroon white game at Tuscaloosa. Man, all those Alabama guys out there, it was crazy. Mac Jones, Damian Harris, um, and then Tua and Jalen Watt. It was it was a lot lot of Alabama out there on the field. Um, my unheralded player of the game. I'm going to go our week. Sam Darnold against his former team. He was 24, 35, 279 yards, a passing touchdown, a rushing touchdown. Um, like, and look, Sam Darnold's not that good of a quarterback. I think the, the Panthers, if they can um, improve the position, they will, uh, whether if it's a Deshaun Watson down the road or, uh, or someone else. But for week one, he Darnold went out there and showed the jets that they made a mistake by, or at least, Tried to show the Jets that. But before we go forward, it wouldn't be that this is awesome news. This just in Josh Sweat agrees to three year, $40 million extension with $26.9 million guaranteed. Wow. What a way to move into the preview with Howie making yet another amazing move. He locked Jordan Mailata down, got him probably at cheaper than what he would have cost him at the end of week 17. Locks Josh Sweat down, who guaranteed was going to cost you a lot more come the end of the season. Man, shout out what's to that Howie. Mean for, what's that mean for Derek Barnett? Is this it for him? And I, this year? I don't, I don't want to say, but I think it gives Howie leverage to say, I'm, listen, I don't have to pay you $15 million a year. I got mm-hmm. Josh Sweat. I got Brandon Graham. I mean, that that's touchy. Will he be under contract? Will they restructure and bring him back again? Who knows? Probably. Um, there's a good with three first round picks. You got a really good defensive line class this year, including like you look at defensive ends. You got DeMarvin Leal, Aiden Hutchinson, uh, George Karlaftis. You got a lot of guys that you could be looking at so they could look to add an edge. This just helps to ease the pressure on the defensive edge as you know as a need this season but awesome breaking news to have mid-show definitely is and and that's a good move like you said if this guy can stay healthy and i think he's sort of proven that he can um he's definitely going to be a good get or a good keep and they they drafted him in what the fourth fifth round if i'm not mistaken or was it later but but he definitely got drafted later than he thought he would after that injury so yeah that was Definitely a good signing by Howie Rose. Yeah, he was a fourth. I'll finish off my – so, again, I'm going to go Sam Darnold against his old team. He went out there, did his thing. Um, It helps when you have a healthy Christian McCaffrey too. So, um, excuse me. Yeah, the grudge games are always the good ones, especially when you can sit there and say, yeah, look, you you let me go. Watch me. You know, watch me do this to you. And, I mean, let's let's not get ahead of ourselves in regards to, you know, the New York Jets are not that good. I think they're still a couple years away. They got some work to do. But still, I I mean. I don't think the Panthers are that good either. The Panthers, yeah, they're not that much better. I would give them a little bit more credit, Mm -hmm. but definitely not a whole lot of credit. And you know what? It's kind of, it's it's just, 
Sam Darnold went through hell and back in New York and at the center of like another city that's high media attention. And he basically got booted out because of the, the media attention and his poor play and the team not building around him. So I, I agree with you on, on that one. I mean, he probably will get the opportunity to be the unheralded player a lot because I think he's he's kind of underrated, but he's still not great. He's just kind of underrated. I think he's a sufficient starting quarterback if if Carolina can build around him properly. Yes, I definitely agree. And we'll see. And they have a really good coach in that role that can do it. All right. Week two, Eagles home opener against the San Francisco 49ers. We are going to dive into it. Connor, let me get some keys, what you're looking for, and then a prediction as the Philadelphia Eagles host the San Francisco 49ers. Week two here in the NFL. Um offensively or defensively get pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo I mean we've seen Jimmy Garoppolo when he you know he's feels under pressure when he doesn't have a clean pocket I mean he he can move but he's not the best most mobile guy and stuff I mean you got to just get pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo if Trey Lance plays I mean you know there's kind of been this you know Garoppolo in Lance in Garoppolo in Lance in this kind of weird flowing offense with San Francisco trying to throw defenses off their game. Um, but, I mean, if you can create pressure around Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance, and I become a little more worried because he's a lot more mobile. He can move out of the pocket and make a lot more happen with his feet. But if the front four can create pressure around Jimmy Garoppolo, I think that that's that all spells a really good opportunity um, for the defense again because Jimmy Garoppolo or Trey Lance could make bad decisions, could could get them off balance on throws and stuff and and that could be really really good um and based off of last week i think that this is a good time for another good game for the secondary to prove things brandon Ayuk, he's pretty good debo samuel he's pretty good none of them are like elite you know this is a good opportunity for a guy for guys like steven nelson avante maddox if they run Ayuk or samuel out of the slot um or darius slay to really step up keep the play in front of them you know what these guys even george kittle you know what these guys can do with their feet after the play um i i think it's a huge it's huge that they step up and they they keep the plays in front of them. They make that first tackle. They don't let them get by the contact. If you give them five or six yards or seven yards or whatever, fine, whatever you get, you know, that's going to happen. It's a pass friendly lead. That stuff's going to happen. Keep the play in front of you. Don't let these guys get past you. Look at Debo alone last week. He went off for over 180 yards on, I think it was six receptions. You don't want those types of things to happen. And they have the yak monsters in Ayuk, Samuel, and Kittle. Um, so those are the two on the defensive side of the ball for me, if you want to talk defense quick. Yeah, you know, defensively, Nick Bosa against mm. Jordan Maialata. Um, it was good last week, obviously, but he's going up against a totally different monster this week. Um, so that, that, that'll be a big matchup to watch. Um, be, being able to protect Jalen Hurts' blindside. The, the Niners' secondary is banged up. It's going to be interesting. Are the Eagles going to take shots down the field? Because if they're able to take shots down the field and, and with the protect, and if the offensive line is able to protect and, and you force the Niners to, to blitz, D'Amico Ryans is now their defensive coordinator after Robert Sala went to, to be the head coach of the Jets. But if, if you force them to blitz, then you can open up that middle of the field for Hurts, Goddard, Gainwell, Sanders, 
um, the receivers coming across the middle. So, you know, I, I do think the biggest matchup is is Nick Bosa against um, Jordan Maialata. And just the offensive line is going to have to be able to protect. Um, you know that they're going to come with some designs and different blitzes. And if they're able to protect and know who's, who's blocking who, and I think getting that experience of playing, finally having the full five playing together last week. And besides penalties, you know, we mentioned Jalen Hurts got sacked once, and that was because it was pretty much a coverage sack. Um, I, I think that th- they'll be fine, but it, it's definitely going to be fun. And this is a this is a um, kind of a revenge game for San Fran. The Eagles went to San Fran last year and, and came away with the victory. Um, you know, Travis Fulgham's first game breakout of that five game stretch that he had, where he was the best receiver in the NFL. Um, so you know that they're going to come out here and, and and play. And then for the Eagles defense, like you mentioned, Trey Lance. And Jimmy Garoppolo, they're gonna throw them both in there. You ha- you have to figure out what pattern. Last last week, you would have thought when when Trey Lance came in uh, in that goal line situation that he would have ran it, but he threw a touchdown pass. Um, and and they have to find a way to stop Kittle. Kittle had a big game against the Eagles last year. Um, is it gonna be Singleton? Is it gonna be um, Wilson? Who, we don't really know, but that that's where it's gonna come down to. Can the Eagles defense stop George Kittle? Again, the Eagles offensive line, Jordan Mailata in particular, stop Nick Bosa. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. That Mailata and Bosa matchup is one that's going to be watched very closely all night. And especially in regards to, you know, can Mailata stand up against the elite of the elite? Mm-hmm. I mean, we yep. saw it a little bit last week. He had, or last year, he had some really good games against some really good um, defensive ends. But Nick Bosa, like you say, is a whole different monster. This offensive line has to stay healthy, has to hold up. And, I mean, we have to remember San Francisco's banged up. They're out their number one running back. But as we know, never doubt Kyle Shanahan. He's got Elijah Mitchell, who had a big game last week. We got Trey Sermon coming in, who we have no tape on, but was a really good running back out of Ohio State. We got Jermichael Hasty that they that's still in that backfield as well. We love how he likes to use multiple running backs. So never rule out that a running back can have a big game and you may not know his name or you may not recognize him right off the bat. Um, um, also offensively, I mean, the fact they, that they're going to be without their number one cornerback is big for either Jalen Reger or Devonta Smith. Devonta Smith's obviously going to get the attention, likely with some support over top from the safety. The real question is, is it going to lead to more looks for Jalen Rager? Will Jalen Rager be more open more often? Will they be able to use Kenny Gainwell out wide? Does this spell a tight end game? Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz having big come out games after quieter weeks last week. Whatever it means, I think being without your number one cornerback, as we've seen as Philadelphia Eagles fans, without a true number one corner until Darius Slay arrived in the years before, it's huge. It changes the way that defenses play. It changes the way certain players get open. And so I think it could spell a game for somebody who we may not be expecting it from, whether, like I said, it be Rager, whether it be Gainwell, whether it be the tight ends. Yeah, Watkins, and they're also without, I saw yesterday, Dre Greenlaw, the uh, the Sam linebacker for them as well, won't be in, uh, won't be playing this week. So that could open up something in the middle of the field for the slot guys or the tight ends. There's so much to look forward to, and this could be a game where it's all about, you know, 
early on I feel an out process and then we're gonna have to see Nick Sirianni make some adjustments based on what he sees from the defense based on the looks that the defense has given him so it could be our first real sign of seeing how he can adjust on the fly how he can make the adjustments and get other people involved or get other people open in that offense I think it could be a game for like look at what look at what Detroit did to the uh, defense last week. The 49ers almost lost to Detroit. Detroit almost made the comeback. Listen, I get it. The 49ers put their twos in for a lot of the second yep, half and stuff. I, I get it. I get it. But the game was still being blown open. It means that San Francisco, if you keep the game close, you keep those guys on the field and you're going to see that same look, you know? Um, so for me, it, it's like, that doesn't necessarily mean that they all they can't run all over them again. That doesn't necessarily mean Miles Sanders and Kenny Gainwell can't have a have a week like Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift had last week because not all of that happened in the second half. Obviously, a lot of that happened in the first half, and they were giving up chunk plays, a lot of passing plays to the running backs. So we'll see what uh, Nick Sirianni learned in his first real week of film watching, film crunching, and coming out prepared for the 49ers this week. Yep, definitely can't wait. I can't wait to see the atmosphere at the link, um, how it radiates across the TV. We know down there it's gonna be out. It's gonna be crazy. It's gonna be loud. It, it, it's 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 gonna be raucous, and I, I can't wait. All right, so we went over it, Connor. Your prediction last week, you went with a close game um, over Atlanta. I think I went 28-17 or something. Um, well, I mean, we both had a win, and that's all that matters. But this week, the Eagles are, I think, three three and a half point underdogs. And their home opener against the Niners, which team comes out 2-0? I know. I remember last week you, you kind of chuckled at my 34-31. Listen, I wasn't so wrong with how high the score was for one team. It wasn't team. the highest. I was, was just way off. Yeah, I was just way off in that regard. I was one of those people who, you know, people who was, you know, kind of thinking Atlanta would be better than they actually were. Um For me, I think this one's going to be a close one, and I think it's going to be a really grinded out game. I think you're going to see some some games from Elijah Mitchell, Trey Sermon, maybe Jermichael Hasty, and on our side of the ball, maybe a game from Kenneth Gainwell, Miles Sanders. I think we're going to see a pretty good defensive game, um, assuming that, you know, Jonathan Gannon can keep the plays in front of him again this week. That that could be really good for our defense. I'm seeing uh, I'm seeing a 27 21. And I'm going with Philly on this. I think Philly wow. can beat the 49ers in this game. But the couple weeks coming up after that may be a bit tougher. Take advantage of the banged up 49ers. That's what you got to do. This is an opportunity to take advantage of a team who should be better than what they looked last week. And who should be better than what they may look again this year because of injuries. Um, I'm with you. I agree with you. It, it's um, The Niners are, again, banged up. Not as banged up as they were last year, but. And they're not as banged up as the Baltimore Ravens, but but they always seem, you know, kind of have that Eagles thing where, you know, the last five years, the Eagles kept having those injuries and you got to find a way to, to to battle through it. That's why you have a 53, 50, you know, 56 man roster. So, so you know, next man up mentality for, for the Niners. And that's where the Eagles have to take advantage of a Josh Norman if, if he's out there. Um, so we'll see how, how that goes. Um, I think it's going to be a close game. Got to take advantage of these home games. I don't. You cannot allow um, Jimmy Garoppolo to come in here to beat you. Yes, the Niners are a good team. They're better than Atlanta. Um, Super Bowl caliber roster, a really good defense. But I, I just think all things are coming together for the Eagles right now. You know, 
Nick Sirianni is going to have things up his sleeve. I'm going to go 24-20, the Eagles, over the Niners. And it's going to be an exciting game back and forth. And the Eagles will win uh, with a scoring drive in the fourth quarter. I love it, man. I, I really, I really do hope so. And I really hope that we get a second victory green hour um, next week, which would already give us two wins, which would already give us a Half step up on. Yeah. And it would also already give us a step up on a lot of the national media who called us for two, three wins this year. Yeah. So hopefully we can do that. Um, and and the, Eagles have to, the Eagles have to win these NFC matchups that could come down. Now, I'm not saying the NFC East is going to get two wild card teams or get a wild card team. <laughs> I didn't mean two, but to get a wild, wild card team. But, you know, you, you have to beat these NFC teams for that potentially down the road. So these are good. You know, you got to win the conference games. Definitely. I, I agree with you there. And as we know, victory green hours are just so much funner to have than to talk about loss over loss over loss. Last year, we talked about enough losses. A few more <laughs> wins this year would be way funner to talk about. But yeah, I definitely can't wait to chat again next week. We got to break news. We got to talk about a win. And we got to talk about a game where we're suddenly everybody's favorite underdog. Exactly. Underdogs, you know, hungry dogs run faster. We saw it Super Bowl season. Um, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Kelly Green Hour. You can follow Connor on Twitter at Connor10. That's Connor T-E-N. And follow me on Twitter at LJ 54 Also, our partners over at Sports Talk Philly. Um, you can read up on their 4 for 4 um, you know, website. So follow them. I mean, if you don't want to follow Sixers, that's fine. So that's just my own personal <laughs> opinion. <laughs> um, but we're, we're in the thick of the, 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 NF, the NFL season excited to watch you know college football all day and then today and then get the nfl off and running tomorrow um the eagles play at one o'clock eastern time as they kick off at the link thank you for listening to the kelly green hour for connor i'm lj have a great day fly eagles fly